the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Woo, boy, we got a good show for you. We will be diving into uh, the Florida-Miami recruiting battle over a blue-chip quarterback and how name, image, and likeness has become the center of the post-commitment controversy. A little bit of news from Conference USA as we do have uh, a, a notable coaching move that has happened right there. We'll get into that and more. And as you have seen by the episode description and title right now, we are going to break out the college football trade machine. You know, it, we started one year with if there were trades in college football, you know, what would happen or what would some of them be? But considering what we're seeing in other sports and everyone's trying to cook up the perfect trade for, you know, a Kyrie Irving, everyone's trying to cook up the perfect trade to move Russell Westbrook somewhere else. Everybody is all over their trade machine. Well, we're going to bring it to college football. We have trades to propose and we and the, the live chat, if you were watching along live with us, are going to be the machine to tell you whether or not the trade is accepted, whether the trade is successful. But we begin on the recruiting trail, where the biggest story of the offseason, which we addressed here on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, make sure to go and listen to it if you've not already, Arch Manning's commitment to Texas. That happens on Thursday. But the following Friday, Saturday, and Sunday have led to a tidal wave of commitments. Six subsequent verbal pledges from Leona Lufau, Connor Strode, Jonah Wilson, Andre Kojo, Jaden Chapman, and Trevor Gooseby. And according to Horns 24-7, not, this is a quote, not even mentioning the group of silent commits we're monitoring as their decisions get close to becoming public. So... Uh, Arch Manning is going to be enough to get the Longhorns up in the recruiting rankings. You know, he's a, the number one player in the class. But now with also, you know, Jaden Chapman, who's a four-star offensive lineman, Andre Cotto, who's a three-star offensive lineman, a skilled outside receiver, four-star Jonah Wilson. They are now in the top five nationally. It, it seems simple to say, of course, Arch Manning is going to lead to uh, a flurry of commitments of players who want to be in that same recruiting class but Elliot, are you surprised even at um, how quickly this has happened or the the collection of talent that has all pledged their commitment to Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns in the wake of Arches? Very simple, very understated Twitter post. I, I'm not surprised, right? Like we Arch Manning is not really all that public out there. He's not tweeting, come to Texas and stuff. But I got to imagine Arch Manning knows how to text and probably knows how to pick up the phone. And if you're a five-star or four-star recruit out there, and you see Arch Manning on your caller ID, you're, you're, you're taking that call. You may not go, but you're at least going to listen because Arch Manning 
is the most famous recruit of all time by a lot. Like that was celebrity style traffic that we did at the end of last week on, on the search engine stuff, not just regular, hey, five star recruit style traffic. For Arch Manning to turn down Bama and Georgia, that's a hell of a recruiting pitch that he has in and of itself. And last year they signed one of the best offensive line classes by ratings in history. This year they picked up three more <laughs> highly rated offensive linemen on uh, on Sunday alone. So uh, a great start there. Not at all surprised by the other silent commits they have. And I, I would expect Texas to contend for the number one overall class uh, now that they have Arch. By the way, speaking to the uh, fame of Arch Manning, did you see um, the list of most liked tweets, posts on announcements where they're going. So Arch Manning's tweet is up to 230,000 likes. Do you get any guesses the second most and how far behind it is? For a commitment? Or like what the number is? Yeah, commitment. Yeah, the first tweet announcing a commitment. Justin Fields to Georgia. So Justin Fields, I'm looking back, did not make the top 20. Oh, but he I was not was famous. Early. Time, I think it's really evolved to it. So I'll give it to you. I don't want to waste time. Travis Hunter announcing to Jackson State yeah. uh, was 38,000 likes. Um, Quinn Ewers, the first time around to Ohio State, was 18,000. Then when he announced to tra- transfer to Texas, he was 26,400. But Art, like Arch Manning's 230,000 is almost, I haven't done the math, but like rough math, I'm looking at it. It's almost the other 19 combined don't add up to the 230. It, it is a phenomenon unlike anything we've seen. But back to the original question about the surprise of the commitments right after, not at all. I mean, I, and this kind of happens in recruiting, and it's it's sort of if you weren't Arch Manning and you weren't trying to do that, like what's the purpose of even – yeah, you know, of being a quarter like that's what you're supposed to do now. Now that you've made up your mind, now it's be the Pied Piper. This is why you want a leader. This is why you want somebody that the other players are going to gravitate towards. And I think it's easier now more than it ever has been. Like I used to talk to guys on recruiting visits, official visits, and if I was going to one, like if I was leaning a certain way. I might be at a different school and being like, hey, man, this place is good, but, you know, you really need to think about Florida State, you know, or, or trying to almost recruit those players away to come join you. Like, that's one of the big reasons why I think you want a guy like Arch Manning because of the job he's going to do recruiting for you, which is a massive advantage. Yeah, it's, there's there's no surprise to any of this. Like, players want to play with other good players. And with Arch Manning, just the name, like you are saying, but the celebrity kind of status of Arch Manning, it just adds another layer to it. So, of course, other highly rated players are like, well, I want to go play for the team that's going to have Arch Manning at quarterback because we're probably going to win. And I think that Arch Manning is obviously the clear-cut number one kind of you know star there but like you're talking about they had a huge offensive line class last year they're getting another offensive line class this year we know they have talent on defense we know they have talent in receiver you're starting to see something at texas with the kind of the, the, not just the level of talent but the robustness and the spread of the talent all over where it's like okay maybe we're finally getting to the part where once texas is playing football it'll actually be playing well but I'm still, you know, kind of hanging back because we've seen plenty of really good Texas recruiting classes never really amount to much on the field. So I I would be optimistic if I'm a Longhorns fan, but I wouldn't be sitting here thinking, all right, we're definitely going to win a national title now. There's obviously quality in some of these commitments that they're pulling together. That's why they're rising in the 24-7 sports composite. 
But if you were to look at those, um, the, the six after Arch, you know, where do you see players that could end up being real game changers? Which of those names kind of sticks out to you? Because we've got such a flood that I, it just seems like I'm only taking it as, as a big group, and that's the headline. How many of these names do you think are ones where you're like, oh, wow, either based on who they were competing against or based on the caliber of the player himself? Yeah, so I think you have to start looking at the offensive linemen, right? Jaden Chapman is a really athletic interior lineman, 6'4", 300, like not 340, he's just a solid 300, which used to be huge in high school and now is is just kind of kind of more standard now. Um, receiver Jonah Wilson, I'm not seeing in person, so I don't want to just you know comment on him. Uh, but Connor Stroh, guys, is enormous. I mean, 6'6 and a half, 345. So they'll probably want to slim him down a little bit, maybe unlock a little bit extra quickness, but... Uh, if you're going to go around him, you got to go pretty wide because that's that's a big old dude right there. And then Trevor Goolsby's a guy I watched him last night when, when he committed because I didn't know much about him. I, I thought he was a pretty athletic guy, 6'6", 280. Clearly, Texas thinks they could put a little weight on him, maybe have him be one of their more athletic tackles. I think you got to look at the offensive lineman there. They also got Andre Kohe, uh, who I've not had a chance to watch yet, but he's enormous, 6'6", uh, 330. That's, they're doing some things. They also got Will Randall, uh, the tight end, who is Manning's teammate at Isdor Newman, if you guys watch the uh, the highlights he has, the guy he's throwing the ball to most of the time is that big old tight end. That's the tight end they got a couple of days before. So yeah, I was going to say, didn't he commit like four days before Arch? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should have known then. Well, they he was um, he he had the Texas near the top, I think, for a little while. That was the one where you you were going to take the Newman and you hoped it paid off. Certainly it did. So this is uh, one thing that stood out to me from looking at this crew of commitments. I don't know how exactly when Texas will be leaving the Big 12, but with the way that Texas is loading up on the offensive line, we don't see um, a ton. We, we see what great offensive line play at what, Kansas State, right? You see great offensive line play, like Iowa State might be able to put it together sometime. If you are able to combine elite talent on the outside, elite talent at the quarterback position, and an offensive line. Like I just I think that the longer that Texas is in the Big 12, the more likely we are to see these players have an immediate impact just because the size and talent advantage that is being built up in the trenches on the recruiting trail. I, I know Texas wants to get to the SEC because that's where they're going to be anyway, but as I, I, I am uninvested in this, but the longer Texas is in the Big 12 based on the way they are recruiting, the more likely it is going to be that these players are just going to be able to push around the competition yes. and create some really, really dominant offenses at least. The Big yeah. 12 does not produce NFL defensive linemen at the rate of any of the other four leagues, especially not like the ACC, Big 10, and SEC put out defensive linemen much greater than the Big 12 and, and Pac-12, even on a per-school basis. I can already hear right now, we only have 10 teams. you got to divide by 10. Do it. They're D-line. Like, Arch Manning's not going to get pressured much. Yeah, and then just look at what Oklahoma's offense was able to do when it had – like, Oklahoma's offensive line the last years was very good. And going up against a lot of Big 12 defenses that didn't quite have that same kind of talent, they were just killing everybody. And then, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, Oklahoma fans. It's been a while since we've come back to make you mad. But then look at what happens when those uh, Oklahoma offensive lines would get into the college football playoff, right? Oh, Chip, you had to do it to him on a Monday, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's, it's what you only put up 45 against Georgia's defense. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, that offensive line did pretty well against Georgia. Yeah. Well, I guess LSU an LSU defense that we were kind of like, uh, you know, they, 
they weren't able to get the the same kind of push. Tough, yeah, tough but, but no, I'm, scoring no, 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 no. I'm, yeah. I'm going to defend Oklahoma's offensive line because they were going up against an LSU defense that knew it did not have to worry about stopping the run because they were already up by three or four scores and Oklahoma had to throw on every single pass. That's It's a lot harder to block when the defense knows what you're doing every snap. One di- one dimensional, absolutely. Um, okay, so turning our attention, we so the ceiling right now for Texas is top three, right? We'll be talking about maybe in the t- they are in the top five right now. Uh, there is a potential that they have a top three class at this point. You know everything that they get add to this uh, star-studded group is going to be gravy. But uh, the Texas Longhorns moving with a lot of momentum right now. Remember after- when Texas Tech, Cincinnati, and Northwestern were all in the top five and we were having fun with it. And yeah. now, and now you look at the top five. It's Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, Clemson, Texas. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that happens later in the cycle. Once, yeah. uh, once some of these superstars uh, end up committing. Speaking of blue chips committing, we saw four-star quarterback Jaden Rashada announce his commitment to Miami on Sunday. He chose the Hurricanes over Florida and others, and it has created uh, quite the back and forth in terms of name, image, and likeness. Uh, a lot of numbers are being thrown around. I don't feel comfortable uh, standing by any one of these numbers. And if any of y'all do, that's fine. But, you know, whether it's four, five, 9.5, 11, this collective's doing it right. This attorney is the one, but we haven't talked to each other. Uh, of course, all of this uh, in the wake of the NCAA as in, in its stated effort to crack down on enforcement in particular with inducements with NIL as the very few uh, NCAA rules that are there in place for name, image, and likeness include that they do not want you using name, image, and likeness as a way to win a recruiting battle, though that's probably always going to happen, but can't prove it. So when uh, an attorney is going on the record and saying that Jaden Rashada left uh, millions, quote, millions on the table by choosing Miami and trying to uh, assign a value to the deal, it's going to get a little bit messy. And, I mean, we're talking about a recruiting battle between Miami and Florida. Of course it's going to get messy. You know social media is going to be on fire. And so I I guess I start with... um, I start with what we're not going to reverse from. Jaden Rashada is committed to Miami. But is Jaden Rashada uh, the, the kind of star quarterback commit that is even worth all this attention? Or, or is the name, image, and likeness aspect making this uh, a little bit more juicy from a perspective of college football talk? Both. Okay. He's a very good prospect, a legitimate you know, top five type quarterback prospect out there. And the name, image, and likeness uh, – because it was known for so long, I think, behind the scenes and by recruiting media that name, image, and likeness would be a major factor in this recruitment. I, I think it also amped up the amount of hype and attention being paid to the recruitment. Much in the way that you know Arch Manning, uh, having the last name Manning, did so. Like We would not be all hands on deck if he was Arch Thompson with the same level of talent. But he's Manning. So, for, so for Rashad, I mean... Um, we already know that the NCAA has reportedly, you know, visited Miami and started to look around. That this is probably not the headline. If you if you're playing like in the compliance office for Mario Cristobal's football program, these kind of stories are not exactly what you want out, especially if it potentially is going to create any kind of penalties for uh, for the football program moving forward. I, I I disagree, Chip. Think about this: if you're in the compliance office, 
you're probably more scared that eventually there's not going to be any rules against this. And then what do we really need you for? What are we complying with? <laughs> this creates job security for you. <laughs> do, do you think that anything, uh, well, what, how, what numbers do y'all believe? Ah, no, man, that's, that's a bad conversation. Okay, I, no, I, yeah. If, if you told me he got five and a half or six, I would say, I believe that over okay. a three-year deal. Okay. For sure. And would you I believe have a hard time a buying nine and a half? Well, would, or so, but if it, would you believe millions were left on the table to go to Miami over Florida? I mean, again, this is the claim of the lawyer who right. claims that he did the deal, right? But then also called the, the story fake or, or yeah. lies. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if I really believe that he left millions on the table. Because if you pair this with his other comments about Florida's collective, again, according to him, being the most disorganized thing and he would never want to work with them again, that to me implies that maybe those millions that you left on the table, allegedly, were not actually certain, right? Maybe they were more speculative millions or could uh, emerge millions. Um, I, I think some schools are more willing to promise money they don't actually have or they have not actually fundraised yet than maybe some other ones are. So like, how do you say... Yeah, this this school offered a bunch more money, and we turned it down because they were disorganized. Is that because you don't believe they would have actually paid? There, there's all these kind of questions. I'll, I'll throw this out to you guys. What? Why talk about this publicly at all? Well, I think if you're the attorney, you talk about the deal that you just brokered to get mm -hmm. more clients, and right. you had great offers on the table. I'm not 100 percent sure why he threw the Gator Collective under the bus. That to me, like, why would you go out? Is there it a rivalry with Heitner? Uh, maybe it could be. Um, they're but both think, quoted all the time as like NIL attorneys in these articles. Yeah, it's it's wild though, and this is that whole aspect where I this is not making Billy Napier's job any easier without question, a place that's already hard to please your fan base and you ran off the last coach because he wasn't recruiting on par with the other teams in your conference. And now, like, but I think this is, if it's true, I actually think it's hilarious that the collective would be the ones at fault. Like, hey, and those, I guarantee you, the people that are giving the collective and running the collective are the same ones that fire, you know, wanted Dan Mullen fired because he wasn't doing a good enough job. And so, like, if you're Billy Napier, I'd be like, hey, I've recruited like it wasn't on me. Like I was I was doing my job. You guys couldn't close the deal. But because there can't be that relationship, I think you're going to see a lot of these like there. It, there's and it's not just Florida that's dysfunction, dysfunctional. Dysfunction is all over the landscape because it's absolutely crazy. Is this in the best interest of your client to put this out? Uh, no, no. Here's, I mean, I don't know why he's throwing the Florida collective under the bus. Maybe there's some sort of rivalry, but I just know that if I was an agent, why in the hell would I ever publicly say that I'm not going to work with a team who could help maybe drive up the price for one of my clients? That's just bad business to me. I think that's stupid. I don't know what his reasoning for that is, but the reason he's doing this is because it raises his profile. And like you said, he's one of the guys who's constantly talking to the media about this stuff. So, you know, he seems to be interested in having his name out there and people knowing who he is. And then if you're Miami or you're any of the schools, like maybe it's not ideal. Like Chip, you were saying, you know, maybe especially with the NCAA sniffing around, you might be a little nervous. But at the same time, if you're a school and word is out that you're paying a kid nine million, whether it's true or not, all that matters is there are recruits out there saying, did you hear how much Miami's paying? But. Okay, but if I'm Jaden Rashada, no, it's terrible for the player because yeah, it's now, terrible for the player. Unless, no, because it's terrible for him. There's no proof 
So there's no solid proof of how much money this kid's getting. And there's not going to be because they don't have to release this stuff yet. Sure. There's no rules. But if this kid comes to Miami and doesn't play well, now he's the nine and a half million dollar bust. And he might not be getting anywhere near that kind of money. And I, because there's another thing. I, I don't know if we could get to this after the point, but I just, I took down a list because Rashad is what? Like a highly rated four star. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking of the money that's been going around or being tossed out as going to these highly rated QBs in the last, you know, in just the first few years of NIL here. And it's why I'm convinced that this is not going to last, at least not at these prices. Because think of how much money he, whether it's five million or nine and a half. Here's a list of top 100 quarterbacks from recruiting classes since 2018. I didn't use 2022 because there's clearly not enough, you know, data to suggest whether these kids are going to work out or not. But going to 2018, you had Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Duh. Uh, JT Daniels, okay, DTR, sure. But then you got Justin Rogers, Tanner McKee, Matt Corral, Jaron Williams, Phil Yurkovic, Emery Jones, Colson Yankoff, Jacob Sermon. A lot of those guys, nobody knows who they are. 2019, Spencer Rattler, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels. All those Ryan. guys were. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, but I'm saying I'm Spencer going back Rattler. Like, yeah. Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels, Ryan Holinsky, Graham Mert, Sam Howe, 2020, Bryce Young, DJU, CJ Stroud. Hudson Card, Jaquindon Jackson, Luke Doty, Harrison Bailey. 2021, still probably too early, but just throwing them out there. Quinn Ewers, Caleb Williams, Sam Heward, Brock Vandegrift, J.J. McCarthy, Kyle McCord, Ty Thompson, Jake Garcia, Drake May, Jackson Dark, Tyler Buckner, Miller Moss, Jalen Milrow, Garrett Nussmeyer. Imagine all those kids are getting like $5 because they're top 100 QBs, and that seems to be the going rate. How long, considering how many of those guys are names that nobody really knows, are these guys going to be getting $5 million? $5 million over three? I think that'll continue in perpetuity and go up. That is absolutely the, the risk is priced in for these guys to bust. You're paying coaches well, ten God million, for, and they're no more God certain for to dumb work. people with lots of money. But it's I mean, always like, been that okay. the same dumb people. I agree with Bud. The same dumb people are the ones that are doing anything to get the next head coach. So you pulled up a list of five stars. I pulled up the top ten highest paid coaches in college football from 2018. Just randomly pulled it up. Gus Malzahn is in the top 10 at Auburn, Tom Herman at Texas, and uh, Dan Mullen at Florida. Top 10 highest paid coaches. Like, And has it impacted the next coach's salaries? No, they've gotten more and bigger guarantees. I'm with Bud. I just think there's an irrational exuberance, I don't, whatever you want to call it, that college football fan bases, especially some of the more passionate ones, are always willing to play, uh, pay. Yeah. What's the I've got, I've got another list for Crypto you. or high school kids? <laughs> high school kids, for sure. I, I, at the very top, I got a better list for you. Everybody here watches baseball, at least somewhat, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Mickey Moniak, Nick Senzel, Ian Anderson, Riley Pint, Corey Ray, AJ Puck, Braxton Garrett, Cal Quantrill, Matt Manning, Zach Collins, Kyle Lewis, Jason Groom, Josh Lowe, Will Benson, Alice Kirilov, Matt Tice, Forrest Whitley, Brake Rutherford, Justin Dunn, mm-hmm. Gavin Lux, TJ Zook, Will Craig, Delvin Perez. Each of these guys got at least $2 million signing bonus. That is the mm-hmm. first round of the 2016 MLB draft. Mm-hmm. Baseball has been throwing out millions, and in some Key cases, difference. like ten million Key difference. up front. What's the Key difference? Major league teams have a collectively bargained bonus pool that they're allowed to use based on their draft position. So there's only so much money they are allowed to spend on right. Their it artificially draft suppresses it. Yeah. If they didn't have that, the teams would be spending more, and they used to. That's why they had to collectively bargain it down because the cheaper owners so didn't the want price to spend that went money. Down is what you're saying because of collective bargaining. I know, which, but it, t- the price is going to go down. I'm telling you, these kids I are not be getting nine million. I, I, I think it'll go down from this nine million over three thing if that's what it was. But if it's more like what I think it probably was, I I, I think you're routinely going to going to see the very best quarterbacks get two million plus. 
a year. Would you rather? Yes. Would you rather have a two million dollar quarterback or a two million dollar coordinator? Give me the give me the player all day, man. Of course, but I mean, would you rather? You know, Gene I can't Kizik speak for I can't speak for anybody that's out there that's got this money and is willing to spend it on a kid. But from my perspective, if I had this money and I wanted, like, I become Illinois super booster. And I'm giving a quarterback, you know, a five-star kid, $10 million to come to Illinois. I'm giving this kid a few, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then Illinois wins the national title. That's awesome. I'm super happy. But I've now I've spent, what, $50 million for it? And all I got was, you know, like, it's like, what what do I get out of it? I don't oh, get Oh, I think you back. underestimate the desire for some of these boosters to be relevant and to be important. Like relevant to, to who? Be, you want to, to brag to the other guys in the luxury box. That was saying, my like, guy. Who, I bought who's him. Who's celebrating these people? Like, it's not like we're giving them parades or trophies or awards or anybody knows their right. names. Who, so how, much how much did we hear John Ruiz's name a year ago? Did anybody know who he was? And now he's like a face of college football. You know, which is nuts when you think about it. I think he loves it. And if you're rich, but not quite rich enough to buy an NFL team, the next closest thing you can do is buy a team at your alma mater, even though it has zero return on your investment where it's not money well spent, but it does do something to elevate your status in certain communities, which I think a lot of these guys are doing it for. Okay, so I was playing at this member guest, right? And the, the member who I was with was not, like doesn't have this kind of money, but we're at the dinner. This guy traded in his roles for Bugatti, and it just so happened he had to have it dropped off at the front entrance at Valet to, to make the swap. <laughs> so everybody went outside and checked it out. Like, these guys love to show off what they did. If that kid that you bought, or, well, bought, that you sponsored, scores a winning touchdown, you're turning to your buddies in luxury box, that's my guy. That was me. That was all me. It may not be done on social media, but I guarantee you among the friend circles of the people who have that kind of money to throw away, or throw around, definitely. And I would be I like, like, cool. I'm, Good for you, buddy. I'm, I'm, me too. I would not I would be in that luxury box. <laughs> I, I would like for the market to correct. You know, like I I don't like to think of uh, the college football players as show ponies. And that gets a little uncomfortable. You know, like the, mm-hmm. that's my guy. I own like that. Uh, I don't, yeah. I really, really don't like that. Um, and so I'm not rooting for the lack of success for any college football players, but if things cool down or at least if there is some market correction, then I, I would hope that we don't have that kind of ownership because if the dollar value continues to escalate, the sense of ownership is only going to become stronger. And that's where I just as me personally, as a fan, I I don't love that. I don't want to. I don't want to know the Bob Baffert of college football. Yeah. But wouldn't, I, but wouldn't you rather see it go to the players than to have your name on the weight room or your name on the you know in yeah. on the suite as opposed to going to like I'd rather see it to the players. I guess I don't like the optics of it, and I think a, I, I I'm sure you guys are the same way. Either on social media or running into people around your circles. People don't like. I think a lot of people feel the way you do, Chip. I do, and I. It's just. It feels kind of icky, well, and it's and going like, down this road. Is, I, I love the idea of the players being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. It is this like the the sense of ownership, or like with some of the motivating factors of where the money's coming from. Which uh, we're not going to go down that road, but like, <laughs> and there's going to be. I think we haven't seen yet because it's only we're not even a year, which is nuts considering how much we've talked about this and how much it's grown already. But I still think there's going to be some really ugly consequences, whether it's uh, lawsuits fighting over these contracts they're signing, 
you know, public comments of the, you know, just, I, I think it could get ugly because there's going to be some bitter disputes over the players. And then that whole ownership is thing is going to get even ickier when, when it starts getting uglier. And I think it will, it's inevitable because of what we're talking about. The two lawsuits that, that I really see happening right now are one, some of these collectives I think are spending money. They have not actually mm-hmm. like they have the pledges, but I don't think they have the collections on it mm-hmm. yet. Right? Oh, no. So, so some, some of these, I guarantee you some of these, these collectives, are going to be collectors of a team that has a, a stained glass window is going to be under construction think. for like two yeah. years. Yeah, correct. So like yeah. they're gonna, some, some are going to get sued for non-payment, right? Yeah. The other one is that eventually, like if if I ran a collective right now, I would be talking to my coaching staff and saying, "Hey, which of these three stars that you guys signed in the spring do you think are much better than they were rated?" And I'm going to try to lock that guy up for a deal that is very above market value for his freshman year, but a steal for me as a collective runner or operator, whatever, uh, if he does hit like this coaching staff thinks he will hit. And I want to do that. And I want to purchase the entirety of his NIL rights for three years so that if he goes somewhere else, he can't actually do NIL. We have, you have to basically have to pay him old school bag man style, you know, drop, drop half a million in, in a duffel bag of cash, which some teams will still do. I guarantee you, but it does limit the transfer out options. It also makes the kid more likely to sit and wait and get developed as opposed to complaining about playing time. However, at some point, some kid's going to go out there, sign an NIL deal with somebody else that is in violation of the NIL deal that he signed originally because he signed away all of his NIL rights. At that point, it's going to be on this collective. Do you want to be the first collective to sign somebody for, or to, to sue somebody because they entered into another NIL agreement when you, in fact, own the entirety of their NIL rights for a three-year period? Those are the two that I've been thinking about this a decent bit. Like That could be coming. Yeah, it and it stinks, but if I also was saying I am in favor of name, image, and likeness, like as a as a principle and as something to introduce to the college football environment, I also knew that at some point there there were gonna be things that get really messy. And like yeah. there were people are like, Well, you're not thinking about the unintended consequences. No, I'm not thinking about them because I know what they are. But when the unintended consequences happen, they're consequences, and we'll figure out how to adjust, hopefully grow, evolve, address it, and continue to move forward. I'm it's uh, it's it's wild. But the to to put put a button on the Rashada case. But Elliot says Jaden Rashada, worth it, right? Wor- worth. I don't know about nine and a half, but yeah, I, I definitely think that the, the the bust factor is priced in. Yeah, uh, it's hard so- for me to tell you. Like it's hard for me to believe it's not when you're paying some of these coaches eight nine million and you fire them two years later. Dumb money. <laughs> it is dumb money. Eventually, uh, it's going to go like this. Coaching salaries are going to go down. Player salaries are going to go up, just like in every other sport that brings in billions. Well, or well, I don't know. Maybe we could just see college baseball teams poaching more MLB pitching coaches during the middle of a season. Um, we, I think we're going to full scholarships in baseball, by the way. Among, so do among I. The SEC, ACC, yeah. and maybe a couple others. It would have been nice 20 years ago. Anyways. Yeah. Why, um, why do you think maybe that? <laughs> Uh, well, just pe- speaking as people that had covered the transformation committee, I think it's one of those issues that like the SEC wants. They're investing a ton of money in their baseball stadiums. They make it an entire weekend event. They have hotels right by there. Um, it's just it's like a huge two or three day party for a weekend series, and they want to have a higher quality of talent. And they don't want to have like the MAC voting and saying no, we're not going to go full baseball scholarships. They have the money. And also, like, uh, we're getting way off topic here, but like baseball teams, major league teams are kind of cutting down their farm systems. So yeah. college programs are becoming more 
Like they've always been a very reliable way of developing talents. And for some guys, they're much more reliable than going living on your own in a minor, small town somewhere you've never been. But I think we're seeing that's becoming more of the business model too, where they're going to be developing players for the majors. Oh, baseball is super jealous of the NFL. They're like, wait, mm-hmm. you guys have no player development costs? Mm-hmm. Man, that's the best way to the best way to start doing that full College. full rides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let that way there's less incentive for those kids to go pro early and join a minor league system. Congratulations to Ole Miss College World Series champ, men's College World Series champions. Uh, one last thing before we hit the break and then come back with our college football trade machine. Bill Clark uh, announced that he was resigning, citing back problems. He is something that he said he's been dealing with for almost a decade. He, of course, has been. Uh, the sort of an icon of UAB football, being able to uh, bring it back after doors were shuttered and not only bring it back, but bring it back and have the Blazers playing at a championship level. He was 49 and 26 as UAB's head coach, 32 and 12. Remember, he coached that 2014 season. Then all of a sudden, they didn't play in 15. They didn't play in 16. They returned to action in 17 uh, with a 8-5 and five record. They've been in nothing but bowl games, or at least getting invited to a bowl. Conference championship in 2018, conference championship in 2020, division championship in 2019, nine-win season a year ago. It, it has been... Uh, it has been an important piece of UAB football's history for him to be able to stick with the program because there were opportunities uh, when UAB was shut down where Bill Clark, his name was at least floated. And I, I don't know whether he at all or any of his representation was ever interested in anything other than sticking with UAB, which was certainly uh, one thing that he decided to do. But then to be able to bring the program back, win a couple championships, I'm very, very impressed uh, with Bill Clark's time, now he's going to be stepping aside. They're promoting from within. Do you see UAB being able to maintain its position, uh, especially as we've got big changes for the football program coming up with uh, conference realignment? It's not going to be easy because I, I, I think if you say Bill Clark is the program, I don't think it's that inaccurate of a statement considering all he's done and all he's meant to it and then now that they're moving to the aac the timing is not great where you're going to have a change in leadership you're going to have a change in conference and you know a lot of things going on that said i think that the school being located in birmingham which is a huge college football market is still going to have a pretty solid floor it's just i was thinking uab would join the the new look aac and be kind of primed to compete right away if Bill Clark's not there and you've got to reset the coaching staff, maybe it takes a little longer to get a firm footing in the new conference. They got, I, I it was, if he was bothered by this um, and I, I look forward to hearing Bill Clark, you know, speak more on this and go in depth as I'm sure uh, he will in the coming months or years, but what was it? He got the stadium renovation, right? He got the invitation to the American athletic conference, ran off a couple conference championships. If this was something that had been nagging him for a while, I feel like he can at least look himself in the mirror professionally and be like, I I got UAB into a much, much better place than before I got here. And certainly when when they were able to be brought back into action, that it's like he, he had checked all the final boxes with the stadium and the conference realignment to ensure that UAB was going to have the best chance possible as a program moving forward. Yeah. When you go from nowhere to which is where they were a closed program to back making them relevant and conference contenders it's a phenomenal job 
And I'll, I'll be curious to see because, I mean, he has been – he spearheaded that movement. That's a tough loss for sure. Coming up on the other side, what if we had – trades in college football we are going to be the college football trade machine we've got some offers will they be successful we'll debate next this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, it's time to fire up the college football trade machine. We have trades to propose. And if you've used the, the trade machine before, uh, you know how it works. I, I believe I should give them it's – it's the ESPN, the trade machine of, like, record right now for the NBA? There are multiple, but ESPN, I think, was the first. Okay, so I'll, I'll at least give give them a shout-out and make sure that I'm not I'm not blatantly uh, ignoring whatever – Bill Simmons, here. right? There are, there are better ones out there. There are better ones out there. Follow yeah. Tom Fernelli on Twitter for the Chicago Bulls trade machines that you should watch his screen caps and, and you'll be able to uh, to dive into it. Just saying that because, you know, like NBA salary cap rules are very, very just I don't even know the right word. They're just there's too many of them. But there are some trade machines out there that have a full grasp of those that maybe the ESPN one doesn't. Very excited to get into this. I thought there were a lot of ways to attack this. Certainly with any trade market, you're thinking about buyers and sellers. Uh, there are position groups that are absolutely loaded in some teams where you might have the ability to part ways with the player and still uh, maintain that level of play in the room. And then, of course, there are needs and positional needs that we've discussed and addressed. All those things that are likely to come up. Tom, you, you said you had a couple uh, I want you to go ahead and get us started with your your first trade proposal for the college football trade machine. All right. Um, I think this is a trade that works for both teams and gives it, it addresses a couple needs that each of these programs have. And they're both programs that are kind of coming off of disappointing seasons. So maybe they've got a little more motivation to, to, to make this deal, to kind of take that step forward. I think Ohio State defensively is going to be fine. I think Jim Knowles is going to do a lot of good things for that defense. And while I, I'm impressed with the amount of talent that they have, particularly on the edge, I think that on the interior they have good players, but maybe they could use some more depth that I've seen production from. So I've got this trade going. Ohio State's trade, Emeka Egbuka, to Clemson. Wide receiver. Mm -hmm. For defensive tackle, Tyler Davis. I, I think, like I said, I think Ohio State's good on the interior, but they could use more depth at the spot. Davis is a good player. He's an experienced player. He missed some time last year with injuries, but when he's on the field, he's a very disruptive force on the interior, and he would add another piece to their defensive 
their depth chart to kind of rotate guys in, stay fresh. It would make that, I think, an Ohio State defense that has a chance to be good. It could really turn them into a dominant force. And if you're Clemson, like I mentioned, Davis missed time last year. Rook Orohoro filled in, played well. You've got guys behind him like Etnosa Rubin and Peyton Page, who I think are going to be good players. And you've still got Brian Brzee. So it's not like your defensive line, which is probably the deepest spot you have on the roster, is completely nuked by getting rid of Tyler Davis. And then you add Ibuka, who is probably the heir to the slot receiver thrown behind Jackson Smith and Jigba, but Jackson Smith and Jigba is still there, so he's probably not going to see a ton of time for the Buckeyes this season. So instead, he goes to Clemson, and I feel like he is the prototype of the receiver that Clemson just hasn't had since Hunter Renfro. The the shifty slot guy who could take the short pass and maybe make a big play, but he's also vertical. And I think he would be big for a Clemson offense that is just lacking a player like that. So I think this is kind of a win-now trade for both sides, whereas Ohio State, maybe this really gives your defense that finishing piece to make sure you win the Big Ten and get to the playoff and have a good chance to compete there. And for your Clemson, I think that you've still got an elite defense, but now your offense is a little better and it increases your chances of once again winning the ACC and once again getting back to the college football playoff. And then who would it love to see the semifinal between Clemson and Ohio State? And we can use the trade as a narrative. How this trade's got both of these teams here. I like that. I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to LA here. Can I can I respond with like a oh because that, yes. that's the just real quick. That's like a good trade, but I want a blockbuster. Yes. What if, what <laughs> yeah, if, I want like a I'm like less break. need. I'm like f them picks. Let's go. <laughs> what if I said no no no? I don't want. I want Jackson Smith and Jigba for Brazil. Yeah, that's the I trade. considered that. I consider yeah. that. I just don't think that's as likely to happen. <laughs> well, says none no. of these are likely to happen. <laughs> um, Ohio State says no because Tyler Davis, while I can say Clemson was 8-0 in games that he played last year and 2-3 and three in games that he wasn't, it's like, oh, wow, look at his impact. That also means there were five games that he didn't play. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Ohio State says no to Jackson Smith and J- – oh, no. Uh, Brian Brzee was also hurt. Brian Brzee mm-hmm. was also hurt last year. So I think that health concerns would make Ohio State be the one to say no uh, to Jackson Smith and Jigba versus Brian Brzee. Like we'd have to we'd have to go through medicals. And now Emeka Buka for Tyler Davis, I think that you've got a little bit more comfort because where Abuka is not counting like spring games and not counting flashing from time to time. He is not as primary of a um, he's not as primary of a target. You have other wide receivers that are hungry that are ready to get in there. I like uh, I, I I think that's a successful trade to go Davis for Abuka. I think that to go Jackson Smith and Jigba for Brian Brzee, a team that says no is Ohio State. I yeah, I think that. both would be uncomfortable with that, especially because like Davis is an excellent piece to add to Ohio State's defensive line. Brzee would be the cornerstone of, or the, the number one guy. And I don't think Ohio State needs that as much as it just needs another very solid guy to put on the interior in the rotation. I think Brzee would take up too many snaps from another one of the guys that they do have. And Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best player that they have at the receiver position. So I don't know if they want to pay that price just for a, not as large of an upgrade. All right, here's a blockbuster for you. This is a sign and trade, Okay. <laughs> so I'm going out to LA and I know Jordan Addison just signed with, with LA, uh, but you know, college station is close to Houston, which is, is a major media market. 
Uh, A&M and Jimbo's offense has not been able to develop receivers at all over like the last half decade. It's the like the lone glaring weakness that we talk about every time we bring them up. They're great at everything else. They're terrible at explosive pass plays. Most of that, I think, is receiver-related. So I'm shipping Jordan Addison to Texas A&M, even though he just left Pitt to sign with USC. And I'm going to send back Antonio Johnson because I do not trust USC's defense at all this year. And I, I, I trust Lincoln Riley to make it work offensive scheme-wise. I don't trust them to make that collection of defensive players into a Pac-12 title team, maybe a playoff team. I think this makes both these teams quite a bit better. So Jordan Addison for Antonio Johnson, the corner, uh, to me makes a lot of sense. I have a similar trade. Oh, okay. wait, did you go to USC's wide receiver Did room you send too? it to South Carolina? No. Oh, okay. it's, this is this is not it's not as blockbustery, but it's the same kind of principle. I've got USC sending Mario Williams, who came with Lincoln from Oklahoma, to Iowa for Riley Moss. Because I think that USC's biggest question mark is at corner. And I think Riley Moss is an all-American corner. He's a ball hawk. He's a very good player. So he gives USC a stud corner to help on the back end. Meanwhile, like you said, I think that USC can af- it's got great receivers. I think if you take Mario Williams away, he's a very good player, but they can easier replace him. Whereas for Iowa, Williams is the kind of player that Iowa just hasn't had in a while in that he's a very good vertical threat. He's a yak threat and he gives them a dynamic on their offense where nobody, he's not clearly, he's not going to get the amount of targets that he would got at Oklahoma or he would get at USC, but he gives Iowa something that defenses have to respect. And therefore they can't just load the box against that offense and force them to run into it. They have to stretch vertically, which gives Iowa more space. And I think that defensively the Hawkeyes are still going to be good. You add Mario Williams. I think the Hawkeyes become the favorite to win the West and they've got a much better shot of not a good shot, but a much better shot of taking down at Ohio State, a Penn State, or a Michigan in Indianapolis. So at the very least, I feel like Iowa, if they add Mario Williams, is a favorite for a Rose Bowl appearance. Is Antonio Johnson good enough to be worth, like, Jordan Addison? Do you consider them sort of... Because that's that's where I... If I'm USC, like, if Texas A&M proposed that, I might say no and ask for... And, and counter asking for more defensive pieces, right? Like, maybe throw a defensive lineman in there because I think the... Uh, individual impact that Jordan Addison has made from the moment that he's been in college football for Pitt, based on what we've seen, is significant enough that I, even a top-level, like all-conference caliber, an all-conference caliber defensive back is not going to do it for me for somebody who is determined to be the best wide receiver in college football last season. Like the wide receiver position, I feel like I would need Texas A&M to give me a little bit more to be able to load that deal up. That, that You're right, it probably gets vetoed. So I, I said, hey, and this and this this might not get done for personal reasons, just because two first year coaches they're they're both in the zero sum game of trying to end up against the top of the Pac twelve. But I also was looking at USC's wide receiver room, and I was thinking, what would it take to get Justin Flo? How many wide receivers? Would USC have to part with, or who would they need to be? And I already told you, I'm not moving Jordan Addison. Because Oregon, at the pass catcher position, not particularly dominant. And whether we've got Bo Nix, whether we've got Ty Thompson, uh, Oregon's passing attack could use a Mario Williams. Heck, could use a Brendan Rice, a Gary Bryant Jr., a Terrell Bynum. I mean, I don't think that Oregon would take uh, Kyle Ford just because we're still kind of, you know, 
you, you hope he gets 100% healthy. You hope he's able to live up to that uh, that high rating that he had coming out of high school. But when we're talking about making these trades, I, I'm going to need a little bit more certainty right now. Do you think that USC could put together a package that would get Oregon to part with Justin Flo? I did not think that Oregon would part with Noah Sewell, but I do think that you've got the same type of player defensively who could come in for USC and really help clearly what all of us are identifying as major, major issues with the Trojans in their pursuit of a championship which would be the defensive side of the ball. I think if USC wanted to get Justin Flo with the receiver, they could convince Oregon to make it happen. I just don't think if I'm USC, I make that trade. I think I, I just don't think, I mean, nothing against Justin Flo, nothing against Sewell, nothing against any linebacker in the country. I just think that from a positional player value right now, I'm not trading a wide receiver for a linebacker. I would rather, if I'm trading a receiver, I want a defensive lineman or a, a, a defensive back i don't want a linebacker for him all right danny what you, you got it got a good right, i'm looking at the trades i proposed and how bad some of them are it might be <laughs> as bad as when i took a coach that was in the nfl for my college <laughs> staff. so i'm just i'm trying to i'm trying to get my best one here you want one of the ones i x'd out just now <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, 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 let's yeah. Hear it. i wanted i really wanted to do something with stetson bennett so like I was like yes, I, I, I wanted to too. Yeah. I wanted to do Stetson Bennett for Bijan Robinson, like just head up. Like, would you do that deal? No. Um, no. And then but, Tex- but like Georgia, Texas says no, right? Texas says no. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Texas says no. I well, I was I was trying to go. Then I had another trade that was gonna be I was trying to do a Will Anderson trade to USC, and I had five players listed uh for USC, but I was like, Bama doesn't have any needs that they need, so like you can't do it for them. Um, all right, so now I'll go this one. All right, Wisconsin quarterbacks. I don't. I'm not that confident. In Graham Mertz. I don't think you guys either. And I think this is more of a realistic one. Um, and maybe you could even ask if I'm Wisconsin. I'm calling the Florida Gators. Now this is another one just transferred a little bit. So um, all accounts are Anthony Richardson, AR15 is lighting it up. Feels like he's going to be the starter. So if you call up the Gators and you say, all right, you guys got him. Jack Miller's sitting on the bench, highly recruited athlete. We'll give you Graham Mertz for Jack Miller and Braylon Allen. Do you take that deal? Braylon Allen's important. Yeah, but Wisconsin plugs in running backs. I know he's important. Like you're talking about quarterback versus running back. So you give them the depth. You give them a running back. We run the ball. It's going to open up the run game if you have a better quarterback. Like, when has really running back been an issue for Wisconsin? They'll figure out a way. They need a quarterback. See, my concern, though, is if if you trade Braylon Allen, running back is suddenly an issue because you, you've got – Florida needs D-tackle in the worst way. So then – all right, so then you try to find a Wisconsin. I had their uh, yeah. Keanu Benton as a defensive lineman, but maybe that's who you throw in. They See, you that, throw in a couple extra million of, of like NIL space, like cash space. considerations. <laughs> Apparently, they, they need to up their offer or so like a guy to do organizational stuff. Yeah. See, I don't know if I would do Mertz and Allen for that. I think I would do Allen for that, maybe straight up or not Allen, but the defensive lineman for the Jack Miller because. Jack Miller, I mean, he's a highly rated recruit, but we haven't seen him do anything. And right. I feel like you're paying a pretty premium price for him, considering he might, for all you know, he might not be any better than Mertz. So totally. I, I don't I think Wisconsin says no to that. Because you don't want to part ways with Allen. Mm. Yeah. And I think that like Wisconsin has shown, especially in the West, I 
Graham Mertz, if he takes a step forward, you're going to win the West. If he doesn't take a step forward, you can still win the West. So I don't know if there's enough, like, I don't know if there's a strong enough urge to make that happen, but I do think I had a lot. I was trying to figure out trades for Wisconsin to maybe upgrade the QB spot too. I just don't know if they're going to feel like they need to do it. I was looking for, um, I, I didn't have a market for Spencer Sanders. I was like, how can we get this Oklahoma State team with a little bit better quarterback play? And I don't know who else you were packaging with him to be able to get someone to part ways because we still have some some good defensive pieces, but do you think that if there's a lot of trade value, especially after Jim Knowles has left? Like, I felt like the value of a lot of those returning starters and a lot of those returning contributors was starting to drop a little bit. I found, I found Oklahoma State was out here in the market. And I, I couldn't get a deal to work for him. It's too bad. See, I think that's that's one of the problems too, because I was a couple of the other trades I have that are kind of along the lines of Spencer Sanders. Is I was thinking of two coaches who are probably feeling safe long term, in that one is in his first year at his program, and another it just signed a long term extension. If I'm James Franklin, do I float Sean Clifford on the trade block on the market just to see what kind of offers come in? knowing that maybe I feel confident in Christian Velou or with Jewel R, you know, I, I just signed a very long-term deal. I'm not going to get fired. I know I've had a couple rough seasons here, but if I don't win the Big Ten this year and I give Alar time, just a, a season to play, that might be good for me next year or the year after that to be prepared to compete with Ohio State. Another quarterback I thought of, too, if I'm Tony Elliott and I come to Virginia, clearly oh. we've been winning games. And we want to win right away just because it feels good. to You show up year one, you win, you get to a bowl game. It helps with everything. But Brendan Armstrong's value is never going to be higher than it is right now. You've got one year of eligibility left with him. Would I put Brendan Armstrong out there to Wisconsin or a similar program like that, which maybe has hopes of winning a division title, maybe thinks if things go right, upgrades the QB, it can win its conference. So. That's what I would be doing. If I had like a Sean Clifford or a Brennan Armstrong, I would have them both on the block just to see what I could get. Here's a tough one for you that I wanted to throw out. And it's in that same vein, Tom. So Broderick Jones, the stud left tackle, or maybe we'll go a younger guy, right? Amarius a, a Mims for, for Georgia. Broderick's back up. And Stetson Bennett going up to a team which lost four five offensive linemen and unfortunately lost one of the best players in the country in their center. Trading to Boston College for Phil Dracovic. You put Phil Dracovic on Georgia. Mm. I mean, Georgia fans tell me Stetson Bennett's pretty good. So Boston College shouldn't take a huge step back, right? He's experienced. He can lead that that young team. Uh, Dracovic, when he's healthy, he's pretty good, I think. Like, that's that's a nasty lineup. There would be the, the – Maybe another – like Also, maybe like a future five-star consideration Andrew by Georgia. They signed so many of them. Then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would do that trade if I was both parties. But so that's, that's one of the things, too. Like, I was trying to figure out more SEC trades, but it's hard because, like, so there's so much over, like, SEC teams, a lot of them have overloaded position groups and places <laughs> they could upgrade. But the other teams that they match up with as far as a trade are other SEC teams. And it's really hard to see any big trades going down within the same conference. So, but yeah, no, I think that's, I kind of like that idea. Well, you know what else makes it hard? When you don't have to do trades, you can just go poach yeah. players off other That's teams true. of those positions of need. <laughs> that kind of helps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like 
if I was Bama, I would try to go offer some future considerations for a Clifford, just because I feel like my team is so loaded. What happens if if Bryce Young if went Bryce down for a game or two? Ooh. Like I, I want to make sure I still make so the like playoff insurance like, policy. Yeah, exactly. And of course, I guarantee. Know. I think James Franklin would put him on the trade block in a heartbeat. Don't you? Yeah, especially I mean, if I, it's just for like Bama rotation players, like Sean yeah. Clifford for a couple of Bama backups in the offensive and defensive line. Deal. Like yeah. there is. Like, there is Bama backups are transferring out and starting in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, they're going to be pretty good level of player. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You you are going to be talking about someone who should be able to start at Penn State. Uh, I I laughed um, thinking that Will Levis, just based on his values, probably as high as it's going to be. And if you're Kentucky football, you know that you can win with less quarterback play than what Will Levis has. Imagine what you can get with the number one pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Take Will Levis to the market and then see if you can find ways to uh, bolster uh, bolster that offensive line even more. You know, get the defense playing so it's not just you know one of the better groups in the conference, but maybe in the country. Um, I didn't. I wasn't quite sure who the the right uh, the the right trade partner was there, but I thought that Will Levis was going to be the the blockbuster. You cash in that chip just because you know the stock price is going to be about as high as you could imagine uh, at any other point as he carries that future number one pick type buzz. So idea for next year. I feel like some of these teams that we would have proposed Will Levis to filled their answer via the transfer portal. We should almost mm-hmm. do this show February next year before the final wave of portal because I think it'll have more options. Like I would have said Oregon for Will Levis. But not Oregon behind that offensive line. Right. Yeah, they got Bo Nix now. But I'd rather have Will Levis than Bo Nix, I think. Ooh. Okay. I think they're, like they're both equally unproven, but Levis has bigger tools. I would rather have Levis than Bo Nix too. I Same think thing, I would Toolsy? too. I just, I think they, I think tools wise, too, yeah, but I, I also, I think Will Levis has a lot less YOLO to him. Not saying he doesn't have less any baggage, like yeah, less bad baggage, you know, yeah. like there's less to correct, you know, that, that YOLO that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What, well, Levis, if I gave you his draft pick spot is 25 and a half, would you take over or under where he goes next year's draft? Under meaning closer to number one or yeah. under meaning like closer to the under. second round? Under meaning closer to number one. Like, is he, under. is he, you think he goes top 25? Yeah, I think somebody will bet on the tools. It's hard, it's hard to dismiss that. Like, are we going to pass on the guy who could be Josh Allen? Really? I'm say, I'm like, say I, I talked to Hunt. We're going to learn number. a lot this year. I would say over right now because I don't, he's got to back it up with play on the field this year, which I think is very much in question. How I talked to Hummer, who picks? was at the Manning camp. Sorry, him and Anthony like, Richardson blew every way away, right? Yeah, and Hummer said defense. like Hummer said Levis was just a different level as far as like how the ball looks coming off his hand and the size. Like he's like he's listed six three and he just looks bigger than that. So mm-hmm. it only takes one team. Hell, Tom's Bears drafted Mitch Trubisky based on like one decent season and him being, but he did the right. He had the big season right before he came out. That's why I think like if it was this year, if, well, that's why. I've, as crazy as it seems, like Will Levis might have been better. But if he backs it up, he could be a top three pick. So, How many quarterbacks went first round this year? One. One. Yeah, just the one. Yeah. Terrible I mean, QB class. Yeah. Well, I would, I would just bet on there being also just like a swing the other way, right? Like if we only had one. But you're also going to have Bryce Young. You're going to have a lot of higher, you know, bigger names than you had in this year's QB class who are higher pedigree players. Will – 
Will Will Levis beat out a CJ Stroud, a Bryce Young? Who else? Depends on how McCall like looks at the combine. I would say um, Hendon Hooker. I like. If he, I like. I think he's got some pretty good tools. So yeah. I think Levis would go higher than Hooker. I do too because of the offense goes. Hooker plays in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he'll be downgraded ba- based on running the spread. Yes. Just, yeah. Can yeah. Tyler Van Dy- or uh, can TVD come out this year? Yeah, he's yes. a redshirt yep. freshman last mm-hmm. year. Oh, so yes, wow. I think he goes um, above Levis. Brennan Armstrong. No. I don't really know what to think about O'Connell in person. Man, no Rattler one's eligible. He'll be Dick drafted. Hainer. Nobody's um, saying DJU. Have you seen Sam Hartman throw in person, Danny? No, I haven't. I'm I've curious heard. to know what his, you know, what Devin Leary looks like. like. When you say throw in person, you're talking about like watch him like go through quarterback drills, right? They yeah. not watch Wake Forest play live. No. Yeah. Or either, I'd just be on the field during warmups because I'd learned a lot about just you know why, and even Bryce Young. Like I, I'm, I'm wondering where the evaluation comes on him. The play on the field is so strong that I don't think you'll see any issues. But he is small, like boned wise, he's very skinny. You know, uh, which is, Coke which had is a really why, good point on Josh Allen. In the what, chat. He was horrible at Wyoming his last season. Yeah, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. Which oh, is shit. why everybody was like, what are you doing drafting him? And because the one in the million lottery ticket worked out for Buffalo, everybody's going to look for the next one in a million lottery ticket. Yep. We, w- we want big Josh Allens and off-platform Patrick Mahomes throws. You give us those Chiefs-Bills games, and we're all infected, and we can't let it go. I love it. Uh, and also, because Bryce Young's so skinny, that's why Alabama is going to flip a couple linemen for Sean Clifford just to make sure you've got that insurance policy to bring it home in case he takes a hit in the open field. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back on Wednesday, 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.